Real estate investing is a broad topic that covers many different strategies, such as land banking, development, agriculture, wholesaling, and fix and flips. But I prefer buy and holding. Let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to the Student of Money podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Niemeyer. The mission of Student of Money is to connect listeners like you to a community of like-minded individuals to help you achieve your goal of financial freedom through entrepreneurship, investing, real estate, and personal development. This is episode 31. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. So last week, I just closed on another rental property. It was a single-family house that I was able to lock up from finding out that it was even for sale to having an offer accepted within 36 hours. I basically made two phone calls. I made my first phone call to my bank to make sure that, hey, this is what I'm thinking on doing. Uh, are we all good? And they said, yep, everything looks good. Go ahead and put the offer in. And the next phone call was to the realtor who had the property listed, said, yep, I want to put in an offer. So they accepted my purchase price of 135000 And the appraisal came back at 155000 so the question is, is I get it all the time, why would somebody sell a $155,000 house for $135,000? So it does happen, guys. It's not unusual. Um, and there were some arguments that I made on why I gave an offer for one thirty-five, dollars And uh, I told the realtor when I put the offer in, he was not going to like it, but this is my numbers and this is what it was valued to me. And of course, I think if you heard on the other podcast, they did call me back the next morning and say, hey, we got another offer in. Is this your final and best offer? And of course, my answer was yes, 135000 is my best offer. So I, a lot of times I get questions on, can you really find deals out there with the 1% rule? The 1% rule basically says, if I'm buying a property for 135000 then that rent should be 1% of that price. So it should be like the monthly rent should be $1,350 a month for a house that appraises for 100, you know, that you buy for 135000 and that's exactly what happened. So there's an existing tenant in this property who's paying $1,300 a month in rent. So that's my justification on why I should basically get a $20,000 discount on this house is because the existing renter out there is only paying $1,300 in rent. Now, if that person was paying $1,500 in rent, then I would offer them $150,000. But see, that wasn't the case here. So the seller actually lost $20,000 because they had their rent below market rent, below the market rate. So, you know, that's their fault. And they ended up losing money on the deal because of that. So what am I going to do as soon as that lease is up for renewal? I'm going to raise the rent, of course. 
to $1,500 to get it back up to market rent. So people sell properties that are either mismanaged or mispriced, or you don't even know what's really going on in their life. People do it all the time. The question is, is can you find those deals? And of course, if you're looking, you'll find those deals. So keep looking. If the numbers don't pencil out and the deal doesn't make any sense, don't buy the deal. But you can find deals out there that follow the 1% rule. So I basically bought this house sight unseen. I did not go inside. Matter of fact, the seller wouldn't even let you walk through the property until you had an accepted deal. Well, who's going to put an offer in on a house before they even look at it? Well, I did, of course because there was a couple things that happened that I knew were on my side. One, the property just went through a city housing inspection. So I knew that it had passed city inspection. And then two, I knew the property was going to have an appraisal. So the appraiser was going to walk through and they were going to find any discrepancies before I even looked at it. And then three, I have a walkthrough inspection 24 hours prior to closing. So if I have any objections to anything, I could talk about it at that point in time. And then four, my insider knowledge. This was actually a house right next to another one of my rentals that I've been inside and I am familiar with. So I really didn't need to go do a walkthrough. So that gave me what I call my unfair advantage. So let's take a look at the finances on this deal. So I got the deal. Obviously, like I said, I purchased it for $20,000 less than appraised value. And I've had to put down a $1,000 earnest money, right? A deposit. So I've got $1,000 into this. And I talked to my banker about potentially when we finance this property, getting this property back, getting that $1,000 back. But the reality was, is at the closing, I was getting a check for $2,600. So essentially, I put $1,000 in, but immediately upon closing was getting $2,600 back in the tenant's security deposit and their first month's rent. So this was essentially a no money down deal for me. It was 100% financed, okay? So I got a first position, 80% loan to value, mortgage from my bank. And then I used the equity in an existing property to pay for the 20% down payment. And that equity was financed along with the first position by the same bank. So it was essentially a no money down deal. And I got money in my pocket at closing, at the time of closing. So Essentially, at the end of the day, I just added $155,000 to my real estate portfolio with basically zero money out of my pocket. How many of these deals would you want? The answer is, is, is as many as you can, right? Because this property is a true asset that puts money into my pocket. And there's a big difference. And this is really the main topic for today. So there's two types of investments. You can invest for cash flow, which is what I invest in, or you can invest for capital gains. And that's regardless of the asset class. It could be real estate, but it could also be gold and silver, precious metals. It could be in the stock market. It could be in Bitcoin. 
It could be in paper assets. Basically, everything out there that you invest in, you're either looking for cash flow or capital gains or potentially both. So I'm a cash flow investor. I invest for cash flow. And this single family rental property was for cash flow. Let's take a look at this deal in the eyes of a flipper who's going to look at buying this property as either a distressed property or below market value and then turn around and sell it for a higher value. Basically buy low and sell high. Because see, a cash flow property puts money into your pocket every month. A capital gains investment strategy puts money into your pocket only once when you sell that asset. So if I'm a flipper, when I buy that house, it's really not an asset. It's a liability because it costs you money each and every month you hold on to it because you're not getting cash flow from it when you're flipping houses. Matter of fact, it's a liability because you have to continue to maintain the, the loan on the property, right? I mean, you typically don't buy this property with cash. You're typically going out there and getting it financed. So the longer you hold on to that property, the more and more expensive it is. Because they're investing for capital gains. It's the same thing if I buy a stock or if I buy Bitcoin. I have to hold it and wait for the value to go up. And if the value goes down, then I'm losing money and, it's, and it really turns into a negative liability. Now, you don't realize that gain or loss until the asset is sold. But when an asset turns negative on you or you can't keep up with the payments, it can quickly drag you under, which is one of the disadvantages about leverage. Leverage is a double-edged sword. It can help you on the upside, but it can also bring you down really quick. And then, guess what you get to do then? you got to pay taxes. So taxes are another one of those things that I really hate paying taxes. I avoid it. And real estate is really a game of debt and taxes. Really trying to figure out how to manage the debt on the property and how to avoid paying taxes. And then when you do pay taxes, are they short-term capital gains or long-term capital gains? Because it makes a big difference on what you're paying and therefore what your profit margins are if it's short-term and long-term. So typically long-term capital gains are 12 months or more, a year. Short-term capital gains is less than a year. Well, if you're flipping a house, you're typically not going to be holding that house for over 12 months. You want to be able to get that property and get it turned around and back on the market and sold in a relatively short time period so you're not continuing to pay on this liability. And then guess what you have to do? Then you have to find the next deal on where to put your money in. I also have this problem with real estate funds or syndications who typically just want to flip a property so that they can give their investors a high IRR, internal rate of return. They're only holding this property three, four, five, maybe six years. And see, the sponsor or the person putting together the syndication makes their money on the sell, right? Because they have carried interest. They're sharing the profits with their investors. 
So it's to it's to the syndicator or the sponsor's advantage to sell this property and get the highest RRR for not only their investors, but also for themselves so that they can get paid. And then, of course, what do those investors have to do? They One, they have to pay taxes. They have to return all that depreciation, which is called the recapture of the depreciation. And then they have to find another deal to put that money back into it. So I try to go by what's called the infinite return model. Buy and hold long term and get your money back out of the deal through a refinance so that you can redeploy that money into another deal without having to sell the first asset. You keep rolling that money into the next deal and then the next deal and you continue to hold a portfolio where you actually end up starting to get an infinite return on because you no longer have any money into that deal. So this is why I like buying and holding long term and doing rental properties or landlording. Less taxes, the income that you receive on it is essentially tax-free. That allows me to sit here and talk to you today on this podcast. So buying back your time and having cash flow really helps me out this time of year during the holidays, between Thanksgiving and New Year's, and this whole month of December as we go into Christmas. Because, you know, nothing really happens over the holidays because you're typically busy with friends and family. And even back in the corporate world, nothing really ever gets done in the month of December. Everybody waits till the new year. So just to give you my schedule, here in a few days, I'm going to be leaving for Colorado for a week-long ski trip. As soon as we get back from Colorado, then we're into the week of Christmas. And then right after the holidays, we're probably off to Nashville for the Iowa Hawkeye Bowl game and New Year's Eve. So my month of December is basically booked. We're busy either on vacation, holidays, uh, enjoying life, living the life that I want to live. So if you're flipping properties and you're a flipper and you've got a property setting there, you either have a property or you don't have a property. If you don't have a property, you're thinking, I have no money coming in this month. I need to go out and find another deal for the next one. I've got to start getting the funnel full so that I can start getting paid. And if you do have a property, then no work's being done over the holidays. That liability is just setting out there over your head that you got to worry about. And of course, the holidays are always slow. So that just gives you a little something to think about and why I don't necessarily flip properties. I like to buy and hold long term and cash flow them with renters. I think it's the better solution and that's what I recommend. So I got a huge announcement that I need to let my listeners know about. We just launched a real estate mastermind for Eastern Iowa, and we have a huge launch event scheduled for Sunday, January 22nd at the Cedar Rapids Public Library Auditorium. It's going to be a huge event. I've got some guest speakers coming in that I'm not going to disclose yet because it's a surprise you could find out in January, but you can find information about the meeting at meetup.com under student of money real estate investing mastermind or you can find us on facebook under student of money or you can find me on youtube and of course on our website at www.studentofmoney.org that's all i got for this week 
I hope you have a great Christmas and please join us January 22nd at the Cedar Rapids Public Library. It's going to be a great event. Please hit the button, like and subscribe, and I'll see you next week right here at Student of Money.